Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Lily, what's something that works so well that it's basically magic? I, not to be so American, but I love aircon. Another thing that works like magic is selling whatever you want to sell on Shopify. And you're using Shopify? I'm using Shopify magic to whip up captivating content that converts. And do they have amazing customer service when you have a snag or a rafu? Oh yes, when a rafu comes to town, my dear, I simply call them, I phone them up on my telephone. Oh, so wonderful. What you need to do is you need to sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash book club, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash book club now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash book club. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Celebrity Book Club. Hey, it's Dominic DeBraga Meats. How can I help you? Hey, you slimy piece of shit, meatball-toting scum. This is Tony at Lay All. You were supposed to send me six pounds of duck, and you sent me three pounds of pork. You're the fucking swine. I'm going to fuck you over my saute station, you little bitch. I send my fucking best guys over to you every fucking morning at 5 a.m. I give you my fucking best ducks, and I throw them free fall ground fucking Christmas, and this is how you treat me? Fuck your mother, fuck your sister's ass, all the way fucking to Poughkeepsie, you little fucking bitch. I will no longer deliver duck eggs or quail eggs to you. Don't you fucking dare threaten to not deliver me quail eggs right before the busiest weekend of the year. I will stick my goddamn meesin highly sharpened Japanese knife all the way up your stupid fucking culo, you little Italian piece of shit. I've been buying duck eggs for you for 18 years. You wouldn't know a goddamn restaurant in this town if it weren't for me. I introduced you to everybody in the West Village. I introduced you to everybody in Tribeca. You owe me your goddamn life. You owe me your sister's life. You owe me your firstborn son. How about this, you little fucking prick? I will send my guys over there right now. They will be there in 20 minute they will crash every freaking car in the Lincoln Tunnel and I will give you an extra T-bone but you know what those extra T-bones are going to be shoved so far up my ass you are going to taste last week's dinner that my wife made me and you know what it wasn't her fucking best night it was one of her wife's nights she's a shitty cook and my ass is full of shit you motherfucking piece of shit I will never never sell meat to you again goodbye I will pay you double to suck the rigatoni out of your fucking little hole, you goddamn prick. And I will put your firstborn son through college. You better send those quail eggs over to my walk-in right now. I'm jacking off right now. Excuse me. Oh, I just came thinking about your goddamn eggs, you little piece of shit. I love you. You're going to be in my wedding.
You're my fucking best man. See you in 20 minutes. Who's that knocking at the door? It's all your friends, you filthy whore. Your husband's gone, and we've got books and a bottle of wine to kill. It's Hollywood. It's books. It's gossip. I'm shook. It's memoirs. It's martinis. It's Studio 54. It's Celebrity Book Club. Come read it while it's hot. Celebrity Book Club. Tell your secrets, we won't talk. Celebrity Book Club. No boys are allowed. Celebrity Book Club. Club. Buzz me in, I brought the Cuervo. <laughs> hey, best friend. Hey, best freaking friend. How the hell are you, dude? Happy December, my good bitch. How was your thanks, Gorving? How was your thanks, Gorving? Um, my thanks, Gorving, was a pretty chilly chill. Hello, I didn't have to drive anywhere. Didn't miss life. Um, yeah, just went to my GF's mom's house. Two blocks away. That's very cool. It's really cool to be in a long-term relationship with the parents. And <laughs> no, extreme everybody loves. into a super traditional experience. <laughs> it was very ultimate everybody loves Raymond vibes. Um, and I watched a King of Queens Thanksgiving episode that all took place at the grocery store. And yeah, I was laughing my freaking <laughs> oh, ass a off. A bottle episode, as we say yeah, in the industry. Yeah, when you shoot at one location, really fun stuff. And the food was good. I know your girlfriend's mother is a bit of a chef. Yeah, I'm no. assuming it was it was nice. We got we had oysters. Excuse me, left out on our system from a cooler. She got. Wait, sorry, left out on our system. So she got oh, them from like the sky. Someone in the neighborhood like puts oysters out. Like get your oysters. Yeah, and you like put in twenty bucks. Love that. I know, and it's a whole thing. Um, I did because I am a huge basic bitch. I did make. The Allison Roman stuffing recipe. <laughs> uh, what kind of bread does she use? Okay, so she calls for sourdough. And so I went shopping in Bensonhurst, the Italian neighborhood before. And I asked the woman, I went to this totally old school bakery. And I was like, do you have sourdough? And she's like, no. <laughs> and I was, she goes, we got semolina, we got bricava, and we got focaccia. Oh, she was being sorry. What What do you think this is? Some sort of French bakery, <laughs> bitch? <laughs> Fuck then, off. We got semolina. <laughs> And then, and then I was like, "All right, I'll do the brick oven." And then she goes, "I've never had sourdough. What does it taste like?" Stop. <laughs> yeah. <and laughs> By the way, I'm on Christopho Columbus Avenue, this bakery. Okay. All right. I mean, you are really deep in the heart of Italian American Sopranos land. Yeah. Um. Anyway, they do not fuck with sourdough. <laughs> they do not. It's like, oh, it's fucking sour bread. Why would I want that? Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like shit. <laughs> so I got the brick oven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, Pierre. <laughs> Go suck a dick. Go suck a baguette, bitch. Uh, yeah, my bread, it's cooked in a freaking oven. Where's your bread cooked? What's funny, so my, we had sourdough stuffing because, but my father actually baked the sourdough bread. That Wait, we pandemic boots. I know, pandemic to the vibes. My dad got into baking sourdough and he was like making multiple loaves this week and was being so just like, well, you had the bread bacon soda and yeast and blah, 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 and starter and you know I'm like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about but he made like absolutely delicious sourdough Wait. that was just like soft on the inside crust on the outside and I have to say crust on that, the outside imagine there's no crust and it was absolutely delicious I thought the stuffing really nailed it I'm so impressed the rest of the meal was a was a little. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'll say it. It wasn't the most incredible year for the for the accoutrement. Okay. 
<laughs> the turkey was fine. My brother overcooked the Brussels sprouts, and they were very just like awesome. These are wet. Um, oh, it was just potatoes like potatoes lacked flavor. Soggy Brussels sprouts, like not crispy. No, no crispy bits. There were definitely no crispy bits. I mean, the tea about turkey is that it's a bad bird I, whatever you love to like be such a turkey truther and say that like everyone's <laughs> just stop making turkey like i i think turkey is great because it goes well with cranberry sauce which i adore i adore the tartness of a cranberry. <laughs> no you know, I, I love do a tart a... i love a tart pinot noir with you know with notes of cranberry so it's like i you know i'm very much attracted really because i always feel like when i order a pinot noir you look at me and say oh you're getting a Pinot Noir, Lily? I do not say that. You, I'm, I'm like, I'm like Mr. Willamette Valley Pinot over here. I, I, I have like a Willamette Valley just like team flat, like pennant, like on my wall. You have a Willamette like full flag. Okay, wait. I do want a Willamette Letterman jacket. Oh, you need that. Wait, merch. Merch. Okay. Okay. Well, speaking of food, yeah. We should we get to the book? I guess we should get to the book. Um. We are reading, yeah, he is a rock star without being a rock star. He, we've each have read this book probably three times. This was my third time reading this book, and I was so glad to have another crack at it. Um, This is one of the most influential books in the food industry. Uh, It is one of the best books that I would, I can confidently say we both agree that's one of the best books we've ever read for the podcast. We, of course, are talking about. Anthony, Anthony Bourdain. Bourdain. Hell yes. The goat, if you may. And his book, Kitchen Confidential. Confidential. I so I was really saying, this book is the, I think the only book we've ever read where the celebrity in question was not famous at the time they wrote the book. Because the book is what made him yes. famous. Wow, yeah. Like this is the first time it's like this is literally what I hold in my beautiful soft non like labored hands yeah your hands like, don't have like labored scars <laughs> I'm not covered in calluses from lobsters and burning myself on so many saute pans but yeah this book is what made him famous changed the whole food industry changed the food industry changed how we view chefs changed how we view restaurants his whole thing is being like anti-celebrity chef but you could almost say like even though he became one. Even though he became one. It also, this is only groundbreaking to my family. I would say it's like one of the only books that like me, my sister, and dad have like all read. Oh, no. I saw that on the Wikipedia page for Anthony <laughs> yeah. Bourdain. It was like Charles, Gianna, and Liliana Murata famously all read this book. <laughs> First time in history. It's. I mean, it's really groundbreaking. I know everyone's kind of jaws on the floor. What? You know, you know, this book came about at a time right before the restaurant industry definitely shifted and became much more celebrity chef focused. And I think like foodie culture became much more mainstream and diners became much more like, you know, discerning and like, and like you know, ooh, uh, I have an opinion. You know, it's it also yes. shifted from, oh, people who go out to fancy restaurants. It's just like Midtown and fancy yeah. steak to like i have an opinion and i can like discover a restaurant and i know who the chef is and i'd like maybe make my own demi-gloss at home the amount of times the phrase demi-gloss demi-gloss is mentioned no, i mean demi-gloss book. souffle the the garde the garde system <laughs> comes up quite a lot but i think you know and obviously like this book was also 
hugely influential because of all the secrets it exposed. And so I think, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing people remember this book for is that it was like it was so controversial because he basically like there's one specific chapter where he just goes through and like says all of the horrible scary things that people do in restaurants that like are supposed to freak out diners and you're like ew what i would say it also here's the thing about anthony bourdain complicated feelings i mean obviously he is the goat we're obsessed like we i think both of us reference parts in this book hmm I don't know, weekly. I feel like the part yeah. that I resonates with me most, few things. One, shallots. Yeah, Allison. You know, it's like we wouldn't be at shallot pasta without Yes. And he and he was being like uh you know, an evangelist for shallots long before Roman came onto the scene. I was I mean, like he literally listened to this book of like things that everyone needs to have is shallots. And he's like, most people don't have them in their mise en place. I am like I've said from the day one, shallots, shallots, shallots. Sharp knives. But it is kind of hard because you're like he gave way to like also such annoying culture which is like I don't want to blame him for but it's like he gave way to just one the kind of the neolib of him and Obama like having a beer in Vietnam (laughs) okay so this brings up I actually it's really insane you said that and the spirit is present so I just googled I googled I just searched my own um, tweet for my this Bourdain take and and you think you just crystallized exactly what I was saying in 2018, if I may read <laughs> yeah, my own to tweet. quote myself from 2018. <laughs> to, to quote myself from 2018. And I will say I read this, I think, maybe before I read Anthony Bourdain's book and got a new fun love for him. The earnestness epidemic that has infected our culture, salt, fat, pod safe, queer eye, etc., can be directly traced to our worshipful elevation of, quote, sensitive badass daddy figures like Bourdain and Obama with their motorcycle-adjacent, zegna-jacketed, non-threatening alpha treacle. Ooh! Okay. That was a mouthful. Kind of a classic me tweet, a lot of words. But I feel like this is exactly what you're saying, where it's just like there was this, like, they are sensitive badass dads and everyone's going to be like, yeah, these guys are so fucking cool and they have friends who have motorcycles and they travel the world. And like it spawned like an, a very, very, I would say gross kind of just like earnest and male like tatted at like beta culture chef punk aesthetic and if i may read a quote from kind of a tour, it's towards the end of the book and he's talking about this is when he's at le hall which is the steakhouse where he okay, kind so of it's actually le le hall le hall le hall le hall oui oui exactement le hall is like a typical brasserie martini steak Etc. And like he was, you know, a chef there, but it's not like people were like, oh my God, you need to go to Bourdain's restaurant, Lay All. You're talking about before this restaurant, before this restaurant, before this book yes. came out. Yes. So he was like, he had this chef, that, he had this restaurant that was quite popular. It was just like a booming brasserie. But no, Bourdain was not a named chef or named person by any means. And there's this kind of big section at the end of the book where he's talking about kind of a one day in the life at like Le Hall. And he gets there earlier. He says, I've assembled a pretty good collection of mid-70s New York punk classics on tape. Dead Boys, Richard Hell and the Voidoids, Heartbreakers, Ramones, Television, and so on. And my Mexican grill man enjoys it. So also like the whole thing in the book is he is just being so like, shout out to my fucking badass Ecuadorians and my fucking Gatos Locos. All his Gatos Locos. He absolutely adores the Latinx work ethic and like doesn't fail 
do bring it up every five seconds like, or say that just like all the fucking piss poor like spoon up their ass white boys like me so fucking pretentious thinking they know all their shit because they went to CIA which is the Culinary Institute of America not the actual CIA <laughs> um, uh, like couldn't hold a fucking candle to my Ecuadorian badass pirates <laughs> So I mean, yeah, we're sort we're I think we're like circling what it is like that is so sort of annoying about this like straight male culture at the same time, and so that was kind of my impression of Bourdain. I think before I read this book, and I would blamed him for that kind of just like obnoxious like post punk like aesthetic, just like straight guy aesthetic of like collecting vinyl but like being a bit beta, you know? Right, I mean? exactly, and it's like, and then for all the guys who you see now who are also like tatted chefs who are like it's kind of the reverse thing of what we talk about of like female celebs being like i was so thin and so like and like awkward the chef thing is like there is no other fucking place for me like that's a big thing in this book to just be so like dude my kitchen is where people who have nowhere else to fucking go because we're so everyone's a fucking criminal and a drifter and a prostitute and a drug dealer and a murderer and like this is the only place on earth where they're accepted but the thing, when I read the book though, the first time, I was just like, okay, this guy actually is a legitimate, like, swashbuckler. He has, like, a, like, been addicted to so many drugs and just, like, worked in so many restaurants and, like, earned his stripes. And he is a really good writer and it's, like, really fun. And, like, there is there is a legitimate lust for life here yes. that is not the kind of, like, more sanitized Obama, like, version that I think we think of when we think of no reservations and we think of just, like you know, white guys going to Bangkok, you know what I mean? That was no reservations until, like, season 17. So, and yeah, it's like, I also have to say, it's like, yeah, when he talks about going to this fucking dive bar, Siberia bar in 50th and Broadway after, like, a 17-hour work, like, you know, day, and and the cramps are playing on the jukebox, yeah, am I, like instantly searching if that bar is still open because I want to go there? Sure. Um, I mean, that's he is just, like, a very <laughs> good, I'll say it earnestly, very good writer. And he's, like, I think self-admittedly a better writer than he is a chef, which is, like, refreshing because of, like, all the celebrity chefs that have also gone on to, like, do these shows and write books is, like, they are also claiming to be amazing chefs, where I feel like... And Anthony... personalities, and they, like, don't really have that. And whereas I feel like Tony, if I may be familiar, will be, Please like, use, yeah, you know, will say, like, hey, look, like, I'm no Eric Repair, or like, you know, he'll just be like, I'm a cook. I mean, he writes an incredibly dramatic style that's like very exciting and but like very over the top and very part of this just like male, like worshipful, tatted aesthetic. He's talking about the first restaurant he ever worked in Provincetown. In the kitchen, they were like gods. They dressed like pirates. Chef coats with arms slashed off, blue jeans, ragged and faded headbands, gore-covered aprons, gold hoop earrings, wrist cuffs, turquoise necklaces and chokers, rings of scrimshaw and ivory, tattoos, all the decorative detritus of the long past summer of love. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I look back on summers in P-Town and I think definitely after reading this book because we've spent a lot of summers there is like I am regret that I didn't like have like our dear friends you the pods. I am regret. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I am full of regret that I didn't have a badass 
summer in a restaurant in P-Town. Oh, like actually working at a restaurant? Yeah. These guys were master criminals, sexual athletes compared to my pitiful college hijinks. Highwaymen, rogues, buccaneers, cutthroats. They were like young princes to me. <laughs> Still only a lowly dishwasher. The life of the cook was a life of adventure. Looting, pillaging, and rock and rolling through life with a carefree disregard for all conventional morality. It looked pretty damn good to me on the other side of the line. No, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, okay. his writing is insane. And then he's like, <laughs> everyone's a total fucking pirate. And there's this scene where he gets a cut and, you know, he complains. And he's like, do you have a first aid kit? And then this, like, badass total pirate chef, like, grabs, like, a cast iron bare hand that was, like, on the stove and just grabs it bare hands. And is like, sorry, where's the first aid kit, bitch? Just, like, you build your scars. There's also a scene in Provincetown in where he like decides he wants to become a chef was when he yeah. sees the uh yeah, the other epic. chef a bridal <laughs> yeah. party a wedding party comes into the restaurant and like the bride is already like she's like getting kind of wasted and she's, and she's in like, full to the like chef, 80s like, wedding dress yeah like just like so satin and shiny and like probably veil probably just like looks like Lena Dunham's Christopher Kane wedding <laughs> dress for her Vogue shoot actually and she's like leaning over the like Dutch door like whispering with the chef and like Anthony Bourdain is like clocking and being like what's going on and then he's just like five minutes later we all peer out like the side entrance and there is like our head chef and he's got the bride bent over a 50 pound oil drum and he's <laughs> fucking her from the backside and her eyes are rolling into the back of her head and he's pounding away and we're all looking and I just thought damn I want to be a chef and you're like Okay. Okay. Yeah, Badass. Cool. Yeah. I want to cool. be a chef too. Okay. I want to fuck a bride. What's kind of insane, you know, in his postmortem life of, you know, he was with his wife, Nancy, since high school, who like was with him through his heroin addiction and um, mm. like being like so wasted all the time and crazy. They got divorced and then he was with famous, well, famous in quotes, MMA, UFC fighter Octavia Bourdain, who he had a child with. And then he was with Asia Argento in his last two years. Yeah. Before he committed suicide. Yeah. But he never, in this book, kind of like the whole thing is like, oh, yeah, like I fucked her like over the oil drum. But like he. He doesn't get into his own romances at all. He talks about his wife and how she like stood by him through his drug addiction, whatever. But like. I don't know. Do you think he was like. Not I kind fucking? of think he wasn't, and I find that, again, this is a testament more to him as a writer, that he is dramatizing, like, everyone else's experiences in the kitchen. Be like, these guys, like, fucked everything that moved and stole everything that wasn't <laughs> nailed yeah. down. And it's just like, but actually, like, maybe that means he saw, like, a waiter, like, steal $20 once. <laughs> right, and just, when he's, like, like, heard about one person having sex once. Well, because I kept on thinking about all these times and he'd be like, <laughs> I was on my couch in my dust-filled apartment on 20th and Broad. Pizza piling up. I slept for five days. And it's like, are we to assume his wife is like also passed out with him? I guess I was like, are you fucking on like these I like most benders? junkie relationships are like both people are yeah. high on heroin. Isn't that divine? Um, I've never done H. Yeah, I've actually <laughs> never done H either. It's really interesting you bring that up. Um, I would love to talk to someone who has. I always feel like heroin is one of those drugs where you can do a lot of it, and if you don't die from it, it's not going to like permanently affect you. Mm. I think you can bounce back. I think it really depends how long your heroin. Yeah, you can bounce from from H. 
You can absolutely bounce from each. But again, don't overdo it from what I hear. Yeah, no, absolutely. Don't do drugs. Dare. Celebrity Book Club. This episode is sponsored by ZocDoc. You're trying to find a cause for your symptoms. Achy back, headache, runny nose, itchy eye, wart on my genitals. So let me guess, you stumbled down a TikTok rabbit hole full of questionable advice from so-called experts. Suddenly I have cancer? Uh, no thank you. (laughs) There are better ways to get the answers you want and the care you deserve from trusted professionals and not random people on the internet. Though randoms, I love you, and my TikTok addiction, yeah, it stands. But I'm sorry, Lily, you shouldn't be getting medical advice from some girl in her grandmother's basement in Toronto. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience you want. That's right. Ditch the talk, get the doc. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Mm, I love a trusted guide, like the time I climbed to Machu Picchu on the Inca Trail with a team of Sherpas. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. So find your Sherpa at ZocDoc.com. Go to ZocDoc.com slash book club and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Slay. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash book club. ZocDoc.com slash book club. Ditch the talk. Can we talk about the most famous section of the book, which is where he basically lists like everything that happens in a restaurant that is unsavory that diners don't know about? So, of course, the most famous thing that he says in this book is... Do not order fish on Monday. I remember, I mean, my sister. like committed that. To memory. Like my sister like telling me that is like gospel because I feel like she read it in college when she was like working at restaurants and was like, I'm reading this crazy book and don't order fish. So it's don't order fish on Mondays. And it's basically he goes to this whole thing about. About how they, the restaurants get their fish delivered on Tuesday or Thursday. So by Sunday and Monday, it's all the leftover fish. And that's why – and honestly, it's true. You go to a restaurant, you always see, like, a seafood special on a Sunday that's just, like, an octopus cod mussel stew. And you're like, that's suspicious. Well, I got food poisoning from ceviche in Palm Springs. Mm. And that was one time where I was really not listening to Bourdain. Why was I ordering ceviche? It was like Monday in the desert. <laughs> Monday you were just in the like, desert. Ceviche. Sounds good. And it was like the portion was so big. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were they were literally just trying to unload like all their leftover, like pounds. sitting out for five days in the walk-in. And he's always talking about how the walk-in like refrigerator is getting opened and closed all the time. It's just like really not ideal conditions for preserving food. 
I mean, I remember getting yelled at so much when I worked at Dimes for like four months <laughs> because oh, like for like leaving the fridge no, open. No, more like not putting the milk or like the things that were going to be expired sooner towards the front in the walk-in because you're supposed to like take you know use up the things that are obviously going to expire oh, faster interesting that's a good strategy oh and you were always hiding the milk in the back and then no one was knowing that it was going bad less hiding i was more just like being sloppy and i was like who cares you're like who the fuck, fuck cares? cares like i don't care if this milk goes bad these dumb bitches can get all the bad milk they want bourdain also says which is like it's people just can't get into their brains just like brunch again is also just like full of like nasty nasty leftovers yeah well i a he was like hollandaise has never been made to order like in the history of hollandaise hollandaise is like a breeding ground for bacteria and has been sitting at someone's station for six hours by the time it gets on top of your eggs and it's just like oil eggs i never order hollandaise not to brag anything that's in a pot like a shepherd's pie or chili special sounds like leftovers to me. <laughs> He's like, swordfish have parasitic worms. Chilean sea bass is always frozen. It's just like he's going down the list. And I and I will say all these things do feel like red flaggy to me. Swordfish I'm not suspicious of. If I'm on Nantucket, I assume it's fresh. Well, that's what if you're on Nantucket. But you do have to look and ask because sometimes it's like you can be at a fancy seafood market and you're seeing this tuna and you're seeing the swordfish it like you don't know it's still you know ask what's local it could be frozen or be coming from somewhere fast saw on a menu oh a a menu at the ritz actually the (laughs) other day in boston at the like really shitty restaurant they have in the lobby artisan and artisan and one of the salads listed local goat cheese and i was like local boston goat cheese like what are you talking about (laughs) well i assume they mean like mass even so i'm just like are we known for our cheese other big thing i mean this is a note just more for home chefs is that sharpen your god damn knives well it's it's dangerous to not because then you'll try and cut too hard and you'll slip on the avocado and you'll go right through your thumb. And he also says, if you're going to buy this $100 knife, then be sharpening every week. Because then, truly, what's the point? Otherwise, you're not getting your money. Yeah, no, you're not. Another huge reveal in this book that rocked the restaurant industry was the revelation that they reuse bread. When they take away when they take oh, away yeah. the bread basket from the table that people haven't finished it, that gets repurposed. And put into someone else's basket for later. And he was like, honestly, like, get over yourself if that bothers you. Like, it's bread, whatever. And I, you know, and that's, again, this is his kind of, like, you know, his his outlook on the world that I agree with. Because he's like, yeah, like, some things are gross, but some things aren't. And just, like, don't be a little bitch Oh, wait, it. which brings me, reminds me of the thing that I quote from Anthony Bourdain probably literally every time I go to a restaurant. Is if the bread service is bad, mm. then the food is probably bad, too. See, this was interesting. So we, because we had not that great bread service at a French restaurant recently, and I remember you bringing this up. And yet the rest, the food was, I had that truffle cream soup that was like pretty good. The waitress also gave you free like yes. wine at the end of the night, which was like such a fun, you know. She was being that fun and brings you in in this French. illicit world, which is being French. And like, you know, I think he's always saying like, be a regular, go on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Like that's when you're going to get the best service. Like that's when they want to impress you and they want to like find repeat customers. Friday, Saturdays like, for the bridge and tunnel. It's for the hordes. I guess I will say I could tell at that restaurant where it's like, I thought that was totally fun and she was giving me port and like we were there at the end of the night and maybe the bread was just old. I did feel 
feel like the escargot was a little rubbery. Yeah, I felt the escargot was also. I mean, this is rare, but it was actually it was like oversauced. It was it was it was so it was supposed to be drowning in butter, but it was like the butter was actually trying to conceal. Right, what was going on? I was like, this something's a little off with this escargot, and we will not name names of this restaurant. I was kind of on my now third read read of this book, like looking up the like legendary chefs and like owners that he talks about. Um, I just tried to follow. I just requested to follow the person that he talks about as um grill bitch. Oh yeah. But her account was private. Um so uh, yeah, I'll just I'll let you know. What if grill through. bitch allows you? <laughs> if, if grill bitch accepts my request. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like I don't know when I was looking it up and I was like, okay, well I haven't been to any of these closed down West Village restaurants except for one of the restaurants when he like starts working, he's very like disdainful at the beginning of his career of Italian food, which of course I was offended. And he's like, "Fuck pasta." Well, because he's like ethnically French, or whatever Bourdain, and like you know French cuisine is the kind of the cuisine that like invented the way people cook, and so and he's like Italian, so simple, whatever. But then, when he works at that Italian, that actual good Italian restaurant, and he realizes like the, all the technique required. Should be right. made. To cook simply. Al dente. How to truly use three ingredients and make something beautiful. That pasta should stand up on its own when it's done cooking. Or like right before it goes back into the pan to like get finished with the sauce or whatever. But it should not be just be like rolling around the plate like wet marbles or whatever. Right. And you know he went to, he's from friend of the pod or actually now guest of the pod. He's from Leonia where... DJ Physical Therapy is from. Oh, he's like originally from New York, New Jersey. Yeah. Wow. That is surprising. He has this upbringing that's very similar to Danny Meyer where it's just like he's definitely like upper middle class enough that he's going to France like as a child and having so many experiences Every with food, summer, which was also Danny seems, Meyer's yeah. like introduction. And I guess he has like family there or whatever. Um, but it's just like because all his, his like his first big introduction to like realizing food could be a thing was when he had cold soup on this like ocean liner that he took to France because I guess it's like the 30s. Oh, and he it was like a Vicois, like what was it? It was like a, a Vichy Soise. Which is is it a leek potato soup, which is similar to like what you wanted to make the other week? I'm almost a hundred percent positive that it is a leek potato soup. Yes. Do you remember the meal that changed you to turn you into a a gourmet. It was also a soup for me, and it was also a French. <laughs> it's a soup, soup for me, sis. <laughs> sis, it's the soup for me. I was at the restaurant Jules Vin, which is in the Eiffel Tower. Okay, it's like you on the second floor of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this like fancy restaurant. I don't think it's like a Michelin star restaurant, but it's it's kind of a tourist trap. But it is like a nice restaurant. And I was there with my parents, and I was like ten years old or something, and I ordered a fish soup. And the waiter comes over and he puts this like, you know, sort of shallow terrine down on my plate. And there's like a little piece of fish with like a garnish on top of it in the plate, but there's no soup. And I'm going, what? There's no soup. You brought me a fish soup, but there's no soup. Then comes a second waiter with the like metal cauldron mm. of the hot soup. And he ladles it onto my plate around this like beautifully presented little piece of fish. And it was at that moment I realized food can be an event. 
food is like temporal. Like food actually has a time-based element to it that it can be like this experience, not just something that is like made somewhere else and brought to you and you shoved on your gullet. That food is actually something to be like taken in viscerally and like something to activate all your senses at once. I mean, I was blown away. I was so like excited and impressed and titillated and surprised. Your um, bussy was and, uh, absolutely soaking oh, wet. honey. I was soaking all the way down to the foundation yeah. of the Eiffel Tower. People down there with their binoculars getting drips. And I've been chasing that goddamn high ever since. And that's why I just opened my old school hot dog. It's an in old school salad joint. <laughs> <laughs> Recreating the chopped salads of my working days in my 20s. Where I do need to create like a nostalgic like for like work salads like once we're like in it's our forties like and millennials do want like nineties soup like, and salad. <laughs> oh wait, do you remember that place, Super Salad? Yes, from when we were kids, and it's like so noodles and company, right? And you get this like broccoli cheddar and like a half grilled cheese. I mean, I've said this before, like, gays love soup and straight guys, like, think soup is too gay. Yeah, but, like, I think soup is they're gay. They're missing out. I get that, like, soup, no pun intended, is, like, the backbone of many cultures. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Yes. Yes, stocks. Oh, but it's just, like, I don't know. I'm not... I know some people are just like, soup is my favorite food. Like, I crave soup. I just don't, I don't know. I don't love soup the way some do. Of course, I respect it. So, and I I get that part of it is infantilizing and that it takes you back to, I mean, it's mother's milk, right? And I want something to gristle. I want my extra teeth filled mouth because I did have seven and a half, yes, you heard me, a half teeth pulled as a child. Um, oh my god! So you had all your teeth pulled. I had a again, lot of teeth, teeth pulled. Colonial. Yeah, <laughs> I had so many cavities. I was I like thought a cavity was like getting a filling was just like what happened when you went to the dentist because I was I was getting so like two gushers? or three fillings every time I went to the Insane. dentist. Yeah, I guess it was gushers and strawberry ice cream and vanilla wafers and Doritos and whatever and who knows and it was crazy <laughs> and like. I had a sweet tooth as a child. Of course, I don't anymore. Now you know that I'm a savory gully stuff. Absolutely. Okay, I know it. Um, I want to talk about when he works at the gay restaurant, The Wrinkle Room. Oh, my God. We need to talk about The Wrinkle Room. <laughs> that joke kills me. It's like these two old gays. And they were just like, and he and basically describes them as just like having thrown a lot of dinner parties. And so they think that that means that you can open a restaurant because you like having dinner parties. This is, okay, this is, is the biggest takeaway. Another thing I quote all the time randomly to people. And people are like, I don't care. I'm not trying to open a restaurant, Lily. So like, <laughs> do shut up. Um, is I'm always like, well, you know what Anthony Bourdain says? The problem with opening restaurants is, is that you're a great cook. And people come over to your house and they say, Susan, you throw the grandest dinner parties. Your vissoir, yeah. your roast chicken, the wine, the atmosphere. You should open a restaurant. And then her husband is some retired dentist. And they're like, we mm-hmm. have some money. Okay, that'd be really fun. They open a restaurant. All their friends come. They expect free drinks. They expect free drinks every weekend. They're giving mm-hmm. them out. Honey, you're not. You're in the red. You are not in the black at this point. Because what is the whole the statistics about restaurants? You're not in the black till after two years is like the normal time. Right. And it's just like and all, if all you're doing is giving away free drinks to all your friends because you want bodies on the floor. 
you're not going to get the kind of regulars that you need because these people are one and done. They're coming in for, oh, that was fun. Goodbye. They don't come back. The real test is if you have the stomach to like just churn out food in a consistent way over and over again. And a lot of people lack consistency. What? So he's working at this restaurant with these two gay guys and they just like clearly don't have the stomach for running like a consistent operation. And they're and they're constantly being like, well, darling, Lauren Bacall was in here two weeks ago. And it's just like, honey, Lauren Bacall's dead. Like, <laughs> and also it was like in a brownstone in Hell's Kitchen, which does sound really fun. It sounds like Townhouse, which is this gay bar that is so just like old withered queens, just like, and show tunes, um, which is actually really sweet. And I love the vibe. Said that I would, if I was to live in Manhattan, I would want to live in Hell's Kitchen. And again, you are a 56 year old yeah. man who like owns an antique shop in Palm Springs. I what well, this part was interesting. So it's like so then all the younger like gay waiters like call the restaurant the wrinkle room <laughs> and they're and they're just like savagely making fun of these desperate old queens. But me think like a huge part of the gay economy is basically like older, lustful queens like supporting financially like younger gays, like yeah. inviting them to their houses in the Hamptons, like buying them drinks at show tunes bars. And just, like, generally being supportive and, like, having this this economic side will continue. And, like, you know, and when I'm 65, I'm sure I'll be, like, coming up to some 25-year-old and just being, like, I like the cut of your gym. You want a martini? Come stay <laughs> just... at my cottage. <laughs> and you're going to be, like, oh, those are really, that's a really fun jacket. Hey, uh, <laughs> are you doing anything over New Year's? A couple of friends of mine were going to Nantucket. We fly out. Why don't you? You just want them to be around to make you feel young. <laughs> I was at Club Cafe this past weekend Ugh, in Boston, which fab. is like now like Boston's last gay bar. And there was this guy. I was, um, I'll say it, I was on a date. And uh, there was a guy next to me, like a middle-aged guy having massive chicken salad at the bar alone at just like 6.30 p.m. That's so Boston. It was so Boston <laughs> at one point. And of course, and it, you know, it's like the lighting there is just like so bright. So you can really see your grilled chicken just like, and it was that kind of the salad where there's like twice as much chicken to lettuce <laughs> ratio. So like my date goes into the bathroom and, and then this guy starts talking to me. He turns to me. He's just like, okay, I want, I want you to hazard a guess. How old do you think I was the first time I kissed a boy? Stop. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mayo everywhere. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm guessing from your sort of tone that maybe it was later than I might expect. <laughs> so, like, let me guess. I'll say 34, which is my age. Let's put a pin on it. And he was just like, 62. No. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even think you were in your 60s. And he goes, all right, your next four drinks are on me. <laughs> okay, I love that's like so also like radio sweepstakes. So four room. drinks, like two drinks each. You get a $50 voucher at Club Cafe. Um, that just makes me think about, I feel like this is a very Bourdain about how like food is context. Like when he's on the boat, like having this first oyster. Oh, the of, first oyster, yes. And food is context is, and, well, that, that also is a moment that changes him because his parents won't try it. And so he needs right, to show. Right, and everyone's freaked out by the oyster. And he was. And he like impresses everyone. And then he goes, food is power. Food. Ugh, food is power. All I was going to say about food as context is one time we were also at, I was with you at Club Cafe in Boston. <laughs> and <laughs> you were off with a group of men and I couldn't 
find you. And I said, okay, you know, but I realized we still did need to, I needed to go home with you at the end of the night. So we were staying at your condo with your doormen. Um, yeah, listen to our Patreon if you want to hear us oh, go off on doormen. We will go into doorman culture in the VIP lounge this episode. So stick around and subscribe. And Boston has a rule that if you're going to stay open till 4 a.m., you need to serve food. So I was just like a lone lesbian, and they started serving all this deep dish pizza. And I was just loading up on slices. And it was so good. If I had bought that slice at like just a regular stand, I'd probably be like, oh, this is whatever, you know, during the day. But having that as the house music is, men are stocky five six five five men are making out all around me and i'm just downing my shuffling deep dish into your gullet tasted we pretty do remember good the part uh where bourdain says he had a bad muscle that sent him to the bathroom shitting like a mink <laughs> Oh, yeah. So he does. And I really, this is nothing where I'm just like fully snapping my fingers. I agree with him where he's like, don't kind of like use your food risk experiences to your advantage. Like definitely like have the random taco from the random taco truck. Right. Because it's like you're when how often are you going to because he's like, if I'm in like Barbados and I can see there's like flies going around the like barbecue pit like i don't care like how many times i'm on the beach like yes i'll have the ribs like that's good right rather than i don't know what he was comparing it to but <laughs> basically he's saying but, well he was just like but like but like muscles like be wary of muscles in general yes. because they're insanely easy to cook so chefs like them so they just like throw them in a vat and put sauce on them and it's just like it's too easy to make which means that they're not going to be like taking care to make sure that every muscle is actually good or that they've been stored properly or what have you. Right. Kind of these easy specials that happen. But like, you if know, the chef is like, life. if you're ordering something that lets the chef cut corners, then they're going to cut quarters. You know what I mean? Because they have so many people to, to deal with. So I think that leads uh, us kind of a message to our listeners, you know, the Bourdain way before segments is, you know. I don't know, like, use your fucking head, I guess. I don't know. I guess I was going to say, like, go on awesome sauce food adventures. (laughs) No, go on food adventures. Like, be insanely brave and, like, take risks. And then, like, also use your head. Because some people who think they're not being risky are going to the same shitty Italian restaurant every week. And that has, like, 18,000 things on the menu. And it's so kitchen nightmares. And obviously everything is pre-frozen. And it's, like, that's actually the biggest risk. Right. Like, the places you're getting food poisoning will literally be, like, um juice generation the green juice that's like you get it for and it's like yeah it's just unwashed lettuce yeah and that's been like gathering e-coli all day right that's where you're getting food poisoning not being like ew that like kebab place looks sketchy get the sketchy kebabs don't get the frozen like shrimp scallopini or whatever Segment, segment sauce. sauce what does he eat what does she wear how, how does she live, live? all right okay. what does he eat what does he everything. everything i mean he's eating brain fucking calf liver man like obviously when he wasn't doing no reservations and like traveling to a mountain to eat like a goat's balls um i think he was so chef and just like dude maybe i shoveled like old penne in my mouth at 3 p.m. and then got like fucking Chinese food like after I left Siberia bar. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely uh, an alcoholic. 
Um, <laughs> so he's drinking a lot, as we all know. Um, someone who has, you know, um, dabbled with alcohol in the past. You get drunk, you get home, <laughs> you make the crazy 3 a.m. pasta. And you're, and you're like, you don't really necessarily confine the garlic. You're just like throwing it in a pan with fucking sketchy tomatoes and ketchup and American cheese. Okay. Sketchiest meal ever. <laughs> you just listened. But so I think he's like having like crazy late night drunk, like. Yeah, like he's getting the pastas. halal food and he's like, you know, not fisting. What is the term? <laughs> Pounding like the halal guy just being like, you're dope. As he gets like lamb Absolutely. over rice. He's very pound the halal guy. <laughs> um, what does he wear? I mean, leather As I mentioned jackets. earlier, Zegna. Cropped like Zegna jacket. No, but earlier. I guess what in his like more heroin days, like pre pre fame. Yeah, I feel like he was still just like really good jeans. In this almost like Mark Ma- I mean, Mark Marin is insane but board men game weren't line. wearing really good jeans in the 80s <laughs> i guess like like Levi's. there was no like paper denim and cloth in 1984 <laughs> okay so he's in paper denim in like 2015 oh by the way i'm wearing especially for this episode i'll post a selfie to the slack and you can see it if you're part of our patreon my pinstripe chef pants that i bought at a restaurant supply store in soho oh fuck yeah yeah because they're kind of giving like japanese pajama elevated vibes but they're also giving full workwear full workwear but it's not stolen valor because you did used to work at dimes yes thank you and it's also not stolen valor because like um i don't know it's pinstriped and i'm (laughs) a gangsta by dna (laughs) (laughs) okay walk it back (laughs) Um, he, he, speaking of stripes, he famously wears this seersucker suit to like his job interview. The one where like the chef like makes fun of him for getting his finger burnt where he's like at that other Provincetown restaurant and he like gets this like blue seersucker suit and he's like, I'd look like a fucking like two bit loser, like getting off of his daddy's yacht with just like 18 dildos up his ass. Um, and I feel like. That kind of shows that his style is maybe a little bit more preppy because he did grow up kind of fancy. So I do feel like maybe he's a little bit more wearing, I'm going to say it, khakis. And he was more Dockers. Like Dockers and t-shirt, like with chef shoes. And that was his like normal everyday style. In the 80s, you're saying? In the 80s, 90s. I really think he, I think the seersucker suit thing was a big wake up call for him. And I think he switched to jeans really fast. He also mentions like some restaurant just that he only w- jeans. I uh, yeah, the Dockers. I've just never seen him in a pair of Dockers. He's always in jeans and a white button down. Like I've just never seen him in. You think anything he just like else. he like what he's picked jeans in like 1986 and never looked back and has been in jeans ever since. And he's just gone along with the jean trends. Yeah, and he was <laughs> like, he's gone along down on trends and like then he started wearing paper denim and cloth like in the early 2000s when like men's expensive jeans at Nordstrom's became a thing. And he became famous. And I think and he had like a more badass leather coat that's probably cooler. And then he did switch to the Xenia. And became just like so Obama casual style. Yeah. Soft, expensive tee, rag and bone, a couple button downs. Really good white button downs. Certainly no bright colors. He feels very I mean, club Monaco to me. Yeah. The thing about him is I do wonder if he was like, because he talks about all like chefs having this like crazy pirate style. So like in the 
80s when he was first working in restaurants and they all wore like hoop earrings like door knockers and like so many silk bandanas and they had like crazy mustaches and like eyeliner and they all looked like Johnny Depp and I feel like he maybe was too intimidated by them to dress like that and then once he started becoming like a better chef he just felt like that wasn't really his culture and so like he was going to continue having boring like pre-Zegna style I think so. Like, I also think he's a little bit homophobic in this way. Like, I he think he loves gay folk and he's constantly surrounded by gay folk and he's always saying the restaurant culture is gay culture. Um, because he's like, everyone is like always just being like, you take it up the ass. No, you take it up the ass. And it's about being comfortable with, and it's like so and much dry humping. And he's like, and restaurant gossip culture is gay gossip culture. But I also think that he is kind of like, dude, I mask. And like, dude, I'm not gonna wear pink. Do you remember? And like, because I because I will get like fucking like if I wear pink, everyone's gonna be like, yo, you take it up the ass. He's definitely not wearing pink. I don't think. So I think he's not an Agassi. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh no, I really honestly another think... like straight man of his same generation I think who he... was like a badass. I think he has four white t-shirts and four black t-shirts and two white button downs and maybe two like gingham checked button downs yeah i i'm just my only addendum to that i agree with you is is that he actually has like 20 white t-shirts like <laughs> okay. 30 dark gray t-shirts i will accept your this, this closet basically looks like the rag and bone section at neiman marcus yes absolutely agree <laughs> um how does he live well obviously in his like heroin days he's being so just like i had one pack of saltines and like an old tv that didn't work on the floor like I slept on a pile of clothes. Right, he's like my dusty, dusty, dusty apartment. Every apartment like is in kind of like pre Danny Meyer universe where it's like you're living in like living first on East and ninth. He wasn't even being so Patty Smith. I feel like he was so much more like tw- East, like Gramercy, like twenty eighth okay. and second. For 20th and 2nd, he's like, and I paid $200. I paid like $75 a week for like a roach-infested like chambre de bonne. And he's like, him and Nancy are there and they're watching this TV and he's slapping it and he's like, fucking work. Okay, but what did I want to, okay, what did he, how did he live though? Like, let's Once talk 2011, like all okay. of his shows. I think he did have this like, French style kitchen a little okay. bit. Yes, but I think you know what I'm about to say. He is Buddha. Buddha. Yeah, I yeah. Like, I come I sh- on, he has to be. Doesn't he define like twenty eleven Buddha? He's like constantly going to Thailand and just being like, I love the people. And he's always searching I love for the something. culture. I love the people. He's searching. I also think addendum to what does he wear? I think he does have like a just a super simple leather strap. He wears around his wrist, like a <gasps> oh, like a li- little, not like such a von Dutch cuff. No, but not just huge. Like a more just... simple, like an Hermes, like thin. Yeah, and maybe leather. like someone gave it to him in Thailand or whatever. Like yeah, like a really incredible concierge at like the Hyatt Regency <laughs> in Goa gave him a leather strap as a thank you. And he's wearing it with his sleeves rolled up. I think he's, but yeah, I absolutely think he's Buddha. I think it's French country kitchen with a Buddha outside and kind of this like rocky garden a little bit, native plants. 
where is this house? <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess I'm imagining not to pry. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking California, though. He probably did just like always live in New York. He's such a New Yorkist, you know what I mean? I I, I feel like he would hate California. Oh no, no, but then no sorry. A celebrity, I think... he probably had to live in LA because it's in the Hamptons. Did he like, live in Paris though? I feel like he did have a Hamptons. Oh, that makes a lot more sense because that's... that's so like chef. And culture. my GF did see him once at the Southampton Citarella. I think chefs like living in the Hamptons because they have like the space to have a big kitchen and like have an island. So that's why like Giada and like, yeah. um, what's her name? Ida and like everyone else just like wants to have a Hamptons home. And it's close so to the city and in. they can also, I think, like have like make a ton of other chefs over other chefs over and make a ton of money through like weird charity things that's like i'm sure he was doing like anthony bourdain is cooking for 15 people at black rock (laughs) yes absolutely no 15 black rock and like he's making two hundred thousand dollars for two hours right or it's like fakely for a charity It's for like cleft lip children. Oh, and it's yeah, it's so Sharon Stone, and it's dental buses. <laughs> yeah, and like all all the money is just going to fund like another like Diane von Furstenberg like yacht that sinks. And he's and doing just, just like, super what? relaxed. It's um a ch- uh, grilled lamb shoulder with chimichurri. I know. I wonder if he's still making because like in this book happens a little bit before like obviously the. It's like Alice Waters was happening in the 80s or whatever, but I guess like she hadn't hadn't really gotten to New York yet because this book is still basically everything is like the dustiest old old style European way of cooking like at every restaurant. And he's always being just like, yeah, we were doing fucking aspics and like that, like so many crazy like gelatin desserts and just like so many like steak Diane's and it's just like. And so many Cote de Boeuf. How do you pronounce that? (laughs) Cote de Boeuf? You you said it, bitch. Coat, Coat de buff. Coat de buff. Hell yeah. Coat de buff. Coat de buff. No, buff I know. Up. I was like, and I'm like, and it's and, not. And, we're not even. Know, this was long before Farm to Table, but I, and and this is why I think that like I don't. He never even mentions Alice Waters in this. He book. also I do says wonder if they have a beef. Good in. He says good ingredients, but he doesn't like harp on it. He's not like really good olive oil, you know. Again, he's not such a like. He's not really a chef so much as he is like a cook. A cook. <laughs> fucking getting it on the line like he's like fucking he's Juan so, is yeah. behind me and like he's hell yes like you are my bitch I'm closer to my sous chef than I am to my wife and that's how and it I fuck him more be. often too <laughs> um not to add another segment but how does he fuck oh damn let's get into it I mean does he have such a Terry Richardson just like solid seven and a half dick um I mean he feel, it yes, feels like the he answer is yes does have the confidence it's seven and a half I do feel like it's a little bit thin oh yeah I mean you're saying that because Bourdain is kind of a French name and you think every French guy is, is some mm, fucking thin dick baguette fuck off I feel like he had years of coke dick absolutely had years of coke dick where he was just like having slightly soft sex for three and a half hours with Nancy on a cot in just like (laughs) on East 26th street and then rolling into the restaurant at 745 in the morning and just like, cause throughout the whole book, right. He's like, I never saw Nancy. And so you're like, I feel like maybe he was having a little more sober tantric sex with the MMA wife, Octavia. Yeah, and then by the Argento days, like, they're having, I think, more like, I mean, she seems a little bit woman on top. She seems very Ita- <laughs> Italian Double women on top. Double reverse cowgirl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
upside down cowgirl. And like he's trying to keep up, but he is like 57 at this point, and she's really rocking him into the free world. Do you think he's so like going down on a woman for 45 yes, minutes? Yes, I think he look because I think he's so oral because I think he he probably has trouble getting hard because of the working yeah. hours and the heroin and the coke and the yes. beer. So he's like eating I mean, pussy. Call me damn. in. No, I will. Yeah, so you're I mean so that's right. definitely a tactic. Yeah. You're so right. It's something tied to, like, when I'm sometimes not not to get too personal, <laughs> if it's gross that I'm talking about sucks, like, please stop me, and I won't, because this is a Christian pod. But, like, sometimes if I'm having trouble getting hard, like, you can immediately just either go down on a guy, or even more so, I think, actually, no, this is the thing. If I'm having trouble getting hard, I'm more likely to rim a gentleman, mm. because I'm, like, it feels more toppy. I'm, like, take, I'm, like, compensating for the fact that I'm like not getting hard so I'm like let me just like rim you where it's like if I'm sucking dick then it's just like I'm not really compensating for the fact that I'm not getting hard for them so I feel no it gets things I've got to go to the pussy going I'll Um, I'll just say that who am I in the book I mean obviously like I want to be Bourdain um but same I think both of us sure have Bourdain's isms in us I also feel like maybe I'm just like grill bitch and I'm so like fucking like am being so like fuck me up the ass jokes with the boys in the kitchen. No, yeah, I mean, because this whole book is very this very like sass or be sassed attitude to me too, where it's just like every time some there's sexual harassment happening, it's always like, and you throw it right back. Like where the guy who like the one oh. when he's like working at the rainbow room, yes. and the guy is like always slapping his ass, and then one day he just stabs him in the <laughs> yeah. hand. And the guy's just like bleeding, has to go to the hospital. And he's like, and after that, everyone respected me. <laughs> or the one it was like. Or like the other. Is it the grill bitch? I like, think it's grill bitch. fucks the like Ecuadorian line cook over the like steamer. <laughs> yeah, because he was always in her house. And then she like dry humps him for like fully 40 minutes. And it's like, how do you like it now, bitch? And he was so ashamed. And he like never tried it again. Um. Okay. Yeah. I, are you fucking like the line cook? <laughs> I mean, I don't. I kind of identified with Adam, the bread maker, mm. who's like thinks he's such a like artiste, but he's like being so annoying and like not showing up and like being like like being such a fucking little shit. But they like put up with him because his bread is so fucking good. Yeah, I was also thinking like, are, <laughs> okay, are, not buying yeah, are you also like the GM, like at one of the restaurants who's always like having martinis with like him but like actually being so seven-faced and (laughs) And, like not doing anything and just talking shit about everyone yeah oh his well his his sous chef steven that's like collects the gossip about everyone yes you are that too i was talking about this other gm but i do think both of us have a little bit of steven who are always like taking others out for drinks and like getting the dish we're also both yeah. waiters at Wrinkle in Time or whatever. <laughs> uh, wrinkle in Time. <laughs> the Wrinkle Room. The wrinkle Room. <laughs> yeah, no, we're waiter. We're just waiters at this gay restaurant that's absolutely going under and we don't care. In Midtown and we're like, we're the, fuck it. We're the laziest people in the book. Um, anyway, I give this uh, book uh, 10, like... Extremely sharp Japanese chef knives out of ten. I give this can't recommend it enough. Yeah, ten demi frozen demi gloss cubes to be 
put on the saute pan before grill service out of 10. This book is required reading if you eat, if you've ever been to a restaurant. It's required um, living or reading. Or if you like reading. They should yeah. teach this in schools. It's about fucking life, dude. Yeah, seriously, this man. Book. This is like fucking Finnegan's Wake, man. One of the most epic books ever. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, also so him in the beginning where he's like, yeah, I know it's lame, my heroes, Bukowski. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, shut up. (laughs) Uh, Okay, next week we are reading. Oh, um, God. Well, you. In many ways. In many ways. Okay, we are reading a book by the biggest celebrity in the entire world. It's written by God, and the book is called The Bible. Bible. So really can't wait to just dig into God's memoir, as it were. Um, A lot of fun stories in there. I've heard a lot about this book. It's been a must read for... Super controversial. (laughs) Yeah, the Daily Mail has been talking about it. Always on the bestseller list. (laughs) Got my hardcover at the airport at Hudson News. Can't wait to dig in. Gift guide boots. Uh, thank you so much you guys uh, we will you. see you next week and for those in the VIP lounge we will see you right, right now. now best best welcome to the VIP lounge thank you so much for coming we have so much to cover in today's secret segment so let's just get right to it let's get into it first topic everyone's talking about it as in (laughs) you and me because you can see me is my cold sore that's been here for about a full week (laughs) Uh, um eve of my 35th birthday massive cold sore 35th obviously as we all know um the canonically saddest stage of all time that you're about to enter into. Oh, I've always thought of, you know, growing up, I thought of 27 as the adult age, as like the sort of Aniston age when you have your briefcase and you're working at a magazine and like you're single and you're married at the same time mm. and you're constantly either single or married. But 35. That was just a taste of this week's VIP lounge. To hear the rest of that segment and get another just like it, every week go to patreon.com slash cbc the pod and sign up now for only five dollars a month celebrity book club is presented by fucking prologue projects it's this awesome dive bar i go to the show is produced by meg mernane you don't want to fuck with her okay she will slap your ass with a cast iron with editorial support from leon nafalk who's my fucking boy who makes the best cult de boeuf on the west side andrew parsons who has been missing for a few days but dude come back i need a sous chef and madeline kaplan who makes the best gelato downtown our production manager is percy of berlin i haven't seen her in years but man she could cook me out of any fucking kitchen original theme song by stephen phillips horse that dude is fucking crazy but he's the best best guard manager I've ever had. Artwork by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY. That dude owes me 200 fucking bucks. Follow us on Twitter at CBC The Pod. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review and don't forget to tell your fucking friends about us. Don't 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reuse hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.